Hello and what is going on, podcast people? This is Kelly Takuse up in the rafters, your home for college basketball from Cali. Takius, we got you covered. Everything in between. I'm your host, Anthony Scott. Joined alongside me, as always, Andrew Poppy Carey and Lucas Silverman. Lucas, how you doing? The Warriors, tough loss, tough break. I know you're a Warriors fan. Uh, you got to talk about the Wiseman injury. We're just becoming the 49ers again, just like 2021 leading into 20, 2020 leading into 2021. Niners had so many injuries, weren't a factor, and now I'm seeing the same exact thing happen with the Warriors. We Lost Wiseman for 10 games – or for 10 days, excuse me, and now we're without Kevon Looney. He sprained his ankle last last night against the Celtics. Uh, we can't be losing games against these teams. Like, the Celtics was a winnable game, and now we have a huge four-game stretch against the Dallas Mavericks and the San Antonio Spurs. Hopefully we can at least win three out of those four and, and get back into it. I think we're at 11-10, and 10, and it's just a blood bloodbath in the West right now. I just thought staying healthy was a skill. That's all. So I guess they're just failing at being skillful of staying healthy. After being healthy for five or six straight years, and then <laughs> obviously the KD Clay twice now, uh, it's just been it's been rough. It's been rough. Yeah, uh, Poppy, how are we doing? I mean, in your world, Boston Red Sox world, Pedroia is gone. I mean, I think the whole world thought Pedroia was gone two years ago, but now he made it official. It is official. Yeah, I mean, he's preventing uh, major major injuries down the line by retiring. It was probably time quite some. Quite a few day, or quite a few years ago, like you said, Anthony. But to finally retire, sad to see an icon go. Sad to see that, like, I don't know. Nobody even cares about it either. Nobody cares about baseball, which is just sad. Like nobody on ESPN is talking about Dustin Pedroia retiring. Um, I mean, he—it's not like he's going to make the Hall of Fame, but he was a pretty pretty quality player. Won three rings there, a couple All Stars, an MVP, and nobody cares. Well, who are you like? Yeah, I say is that we're going to get retired. Yeah. His number definitely should get retired in Boston. I think there's no question. In your lifetime, where does he rank in Red Sox for you? Uh, definitely up there. I mean, uh, top you know, five, if, top two, if I had a jersey, one. then you know you're a big deal. And I had a Pedroia jersey. So that's, that's how you know that he was a big deal. <laughs> He's top five for sure. He uh, definitely just reminded me of the David Wright way to go out, get injured during when he's playing well and then just never see him again like the injury just mm -hmm. becomes the end of him sad to see um but besides that lucas poppy you guys are both down in the city i heard you guys got dumped down the snow are you guys doing all right are we surviving the snowstorm yeah it was crazy i'm i'm good took a while Early. to uh, finally get back into the office but snow everywhere it's crazy i feel like i'm back in cues it was crazy how much it was coming down like one the it, it was mainly overnight and so i woke up the next morning and it was a winter wonderland and today was actually gorgeous so hopefully yeah. some of the snow melted um but yeah we got pelted and now we're i think we're going to get some more later next week or this week so yeah yeah winter winter times same here in Cuse. So it was just classic. You wake up one day and you got six inches of snow, go to sleep next day, same thing. But uh sometimes cool. you wake up, you don't have your car, you know, it's something you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my house, we had some crazy things going on this past week. But um, let's get into some college basketball here. Before we do, uh, we did move over. The Kelly DQ's podcast is now available on thechallengesports.com. That's thechallenge-sports.com. You can also find us on their Facebook page, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube now. You can get the Kelly DQ's podcast in video form. The uh, video on YouTube takes Saturday to post. Just give it an extra day. We record these on Thursdays. They drop the audio version on Friday on Spotify, 
and then YouTube on Saturday. And then follow us on Twitter at KellyDQs. Definitely check out The Challenge Sports on Instagram, Facebook, at their website, thechallenge-sports.com. I got a, another article coming out tomorrow about Syracuse basketball. So why don't we talk about the Qs? You just handed that off so elegantly <laughs> right to me. But, yes, let's go right into the Qs topic. What else would we be doing if we weren't talking Qs basketball? We were supposed to have a couple games this week, but unfortunately we only were able to get one. With Syracuse beating NC State 76-73, a couple notes in it. Cuse trailed by double digits at half and, you know, came back and won that game. And they won the game they were supposed to win. They also had some momentum going into their next game against Louisville. But unfortunately, it was canceled due to COVID uh, within the Louisville program. Not specifically Cuse. I guess Cuse, you know, Bayheim's had it already. He's got, got the antibodies. You know, he's, he's ready to rock. But Louisville... A little bit slower paced, you know, they probably, I'm not even going to get into the strip clubs. All right, let's start with the first game. <laughs> NC State, a must win for them. Syracuse got it, got, got it done. Pop, did anything stick out to you in that performance against uh, NC State? You know, it, there's some stuff that stuck out for sure. Being down 11 at the half, coming back and winning. You know, they showed some, some signs of some heart, some grit, were able to eke out a win, found a way to win, you know. Uh, and that was all positives, especially Kadari Richmond played very well in the game, 14 points. He only missed one shot, six of seven from the field. Still not getting the minutes he deserves, A. Scott. I know we're uh, – this is a Kadari Richmond podcast here. We really support him. Uh, but one other thing I really want to touch on from that game, uh, somebody who, you know, has been playing very well in ACC play, actually, is Alan Griffin. Alan Griffin, he's kind of being swept under the radar so far. You know, Gary has been having a very big year for Cuse at the other forward position. But Griffin, the transfer from Illinois, is shooting 40% from three in league play this year. And that's really one of the only saving graces from behind the arc for the Orange. He had 19 in the game, and he had a huge costly turnover towards the end of the game where he's dribbling the ball, and he looked like, you know, he looked like he was going for a stroll in the park, had no idea that they were going to pressure him. And he gets stripped, and uh, I think NC State gets fouled on the other end, makes it a one-point game. But uh, that was shaky. But other than that, Alan Griffin's been quietly very good for Syracuse recently, Anthony. Yeah, I was going to say, Alan Griffin, the costly turnover, because you've always been preaching Alan Griffin to play the two. Does that change your mind that he really can't handle the ball that well? I think it was just him being lazy, though. Yeah, I think it was just a small, you know, a small sample size kind of play. I'm still – I'm willing to see it happen for a larger sample size. He wasn't even playing the two on that specific play, but his ball handling ability maybe isn't where it should be for a two guard, but neither is Buddy Bayheims, is it? True. That's a great <laughs> point. That is a great point. Uh, Alan Griffin, though, yeah, the defensive end, huge for him. Four steals, three blocks, making things happen out there. Jim Bayheim likes to put him on the bench a lot, and you think it is because of his defense, but there uh, he showed you he's very athletic. He's come up with a lot of key blocks this year. Um, but in that game, besides Kadari Richmond, who you touched on, it's just the fact that his counterpart, Joe Girard, just still struggled from three. He's had his moments, and that's just why I would want the pressure. Just taking off Girard. Just have Girard do less and focus more on shooting. I think moving him to the two would really help out his game. Uh, he only shot two for ten against NC State. Buddy Beheim though, did finally get it going from three. Four from eight, 17 points. Still, again, I saw a turnover jumper that did not fall in the paint um, or right outside the paint, the elbow area. He just has to stop doing that. Focus on the three-point shooting with Gerard and Bayhai. Move them to the two. Take the pressure off them handling the ball, and this team can go places. Sadie Baylor, I know, I know every week they want to know how Sadie Bay is doing. He's finally warming up. He might actually play in their next game against Clemson, Jim Bayheim uh, recently said, so watch out. 
Oh, thank God. I was nervous for a second. Like you mentioned, though, with Alan Griffin, I sort of think he has like some middle child syndrome stuff going on right now because most of our praise or our ability to just shit on a Gerard and a, and a Buddy Beheim all the time doesn't really give us much room to talk about how great uh, Alan Griffin has been for them this year. You mentioned that 19, six, four steals and three blocks. He can do it all defensively, and then his ability to bring up the ball, yeah, he's going to make some turnovers, but that's just more usage out of him. If you give him more usage, he's bound to make those mistakes, but I think there's more positives versus the negatives with him. You mentioned Gerard struggling, two for 10 from the field. Four assists, not, not terrible, but when a Kadari Richmond's having 14 and 16 minutes, there has to be something in Beheim's head saying, we should throw him out here and have Gerard take a backseat a little bit, a little bit, but regardless, a win is a win right now. And especially since they just got their most recent game canceled, that's going to be a big factor for them. Syracuse now nine and one at home, one and four on the road. And, you know, we got a nice little tidbit from Mr. Beheim, And I think this, this is a frustrating one just because he's doing this because he knows he's doing this. You know, he's trying to stir the pot a little bit. He knows that this is going to be on the blogs. This is going to be a big, question uh, question moving forward with the fans but on the rec on record he said after Sunday's win I guess the fans aren't as important as we thought <laughs> hey Scott it's the loud house I don't know what if he's doing okay, Anthony if you, if you could just if you could give us your power rankings of people you'd love to punch in the face would Bay has Beheim moved up that list or below that list since he said that um yeah he's definitely moved up the chains a little bit but not not just from that quote uh more just uh, okay there's more to it okay. yeah yeah it's, it, this goes way back now this is now five years piling <laughs> up of just mistakes he's made uh coaching in my mind I just want to see more players I just feel like there's things that he's stubborn about and yes it's gotten him nearly well actually over a thousand wins if you uh consider the ones that got taken away from the NCAA he's a great coach don't get me wrong it's just I feel like he's being stubborn in his ways sometimes doesn't get along with every player and that just inhibits their ability to play on the court. I don't get it. Um, it's just a lot of guys are transferring for no reason. Players have come out saying that Bam wasn't their favorite coach. He's just getting old, in my opinion. Um, but Jim Beheim in this quote is another reason, you know. I guess the fans are not as important as we thought. Jim, you know what You know what pays your salary? 30000 packing the, the stadium when Villanova, UConn, Duke, now North Carolina come to town. Um, that's a big reason. A lot of money coming into the, the stadium. I don't know why you're saying that. Yeah, we're 9-1. and one, But if you look at the entire ACC, the home teams are doing great. We just had Clemson beat North Carolina. We saw upsets over the weekend with home teams talk, knocking down big-time big, big time opponents. So it's just a weird year. I do think there is something to be said, though, that they are 9-1. and one. You know, being 10-5 and five and 80% of your losses come on the road is going to be bit big for them. Like we've mentioned, as any team that goes to the Dome, it's upstate New York, it's freezing, it's wintertime. You know, you only stay in your hotel room as a, as, a, as, an, as a student athlete when you go up and visit them. It's just not the most inspiring place to play, even though the Carrier Dome has so much tradition. But, Pop, do the fans matter? I mean, what, I mean, what are we doing? Um, I mean, I think the fans matter, but I think we know, first of all, we know two things. We know winning in the ACC on the road is difficult. And the second thing that this podcast knows is we do not endorse punching senior citizens in the face. But <laughs> that being said, Jim Beheim's doing himself no favors. You're right. He's stirring the pot. It's classic Beheim. Uh, but I especially don't want to punch him in the face after that spill he took on the sideline during the <laughs> NC State game. We haven't even talked about that. Buddy knocks down the and one layup, and 
Jimmy's doing his little lean-in thing, trying to lean it in, and he just tumbles over on the chair. Hopefully everything's all right there. But, yeah, it was pretty funny to see. And I think the fans matter, obviously. The fans would have been going crazy if they were there for Bayheim falling out of his chair, I'll tell you that much. They would have given him a standing ovation. <laughs> Do you, I mean, of course. I mean, whether it's him throwing his, his blazer off of himself and just running across or just him falling <laughs> out of his seat, it would be must-watch TV. Um, he probably has the highest approval rating at its at his peak for Syracuse, besides the other great athletes that have come through there. Uh, but his longevity there just allows him to have this power of saying whatever he wants off the top of his head. <laughs> um, but again, nine and one at home is no joke. I understand it's hard to win in the, on the road. You know, last time the Cuse went on the road, they got smacked by UVA. So it is important to get those home wins as much as they can, and hopefully they can keep taking advantage of it. Like uh, we've talked about in the past, Syracuse has a quad one-win opportunity against Clemson on Saturday. How important is this game now that they have this break from no Louisville game? Uh, is this another must-win? I know, Pop, you were saying they had to definitely win NC State, and now they had you know Louisville and, and Clemson. But now they just have the Clemson game that they can just focus their attention on. Yeah, just Clemson coming up right now. I said that a split was needed between Louisville and Clemson, and on, I mean that still remains true, uh, despite the fact that that Louisville game was canceled. Maybe they'll make it up, but I think today I could be wrong about this. But off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure there's only been one game made up in the ACC thus far, and that was a Louisville Georgia Tech game this past week on a Tuesday at two o'clock. So it just doesn't seem too feasible for these universities to get together and make up these games. I don't think the athletic departments really have the budget, quite frankly, to be traveling all over the East Coast uh, to play whoever you got to play. So, you know, Syracuse got to get wins. That's the bottom line. They're ten and five going down the stretch. All you can do is win games. You don't really know how the NCAA committee is going to judge things. St. Louis right now is in in Joe Lenardi's, uh, you know, field of sixty four, and they're seven and two. What is really the difference between them at seven and two? versus Syracuse at 10 and five. I don't know. I mean, Lenardi has Syracuse out. So clearly there's a difference there. Maybe they have a quality win, yeah. but it's going to be interesting to see how they judge these teams. Yeah. That, that's the key thing. You know, Syracuse on paper, they're going to have a lot of, lot more wins than a lot of these other teams that get in the tournament per se. If Syracuse is left out of the field of 68, that's what fans are going to be left wondering. Oh, we have 15 wins and this team has 10 and why aren't we in? It's, it comes down to the quad one wins. If that's the reason why right now, Syracuse doesn't have a quad one win. Quad one wins are determined based on who you're playing and where they're ranked in the net rating. And then if it's home or away, obviously, if you're playing an away game to get a quad one win, you don't have to play as good of a team. With that said, there's not many opportunities left because the ACC is having a down year. All of Syracuse's opportunities to get a quad one win come on the road as of right now where the net ratings are where they are. Louisville, um, if we make up that game at home, they are not even a quad one win. Um, based on where they currently are ranked in the net rating at home. So Syracuse is going to have to start winning on the road if they want to make the tournament. Right now they're 1-4 and four on the road, and the quad one opportunities are Clemson this Saturday at Louisville, at Duke, and at Georgia Tech. Um, so you got to win two of those, I think, to get in the tournament. You make a good point. You just got to win. I mean, again, you don't know how many games you're going to have. It's so sporadic. It's so intense. And don't, don't leave it in doubt because we don't know how they're going to be judged. I don't want to leave it in doubt. Uh, specifically on that Clemson matchup uh, coming up, what are you guys looking for specifically? Clemson up and down this year. We were riding high on them. We might have thought they were the best team in the ACC. Turns out they may not be the best team in the ACC. 
This is a really important game for Syracuse coming up. What matchups are you looking forward to uh, between these two teams specifically? Two orange teams, albeit. Yeah, what a uniform battle here between Clemson and Syracuse. But mainly for the orange, it's got to be containing Amir Sims. Uh, he's Clemson's best player. He's their big man. He's the guy they're probably going to put uh, at that ACC logo in the middle of the 2-3 zone, give him the ball, ask him to turn around and make shots, dish the ball, make plays. He's the guy. I mean, you know, they're going to have to rebound well. Clemson is a physical team, a lot like NC State, where they can throw some bodies at you inside. And Syracuse going to have to rebound the ball well. They always struggle down at Clemson. It's, you know, in years past, Syracuse has had a way better team than them, but they always seem to struggle there. Uh, Clemson will have some fans there, so it might be a little tougher place to play. And who knows how the game's going to go. But certainly it's a must-win for the Orange, in my opinion. you got to just win games, bottom line. Yeah, the, the key for this, you got it on the head. Amir Sims, a uh, huge, huge problem in the middle of that zone because that is where he's going to be played. He's Clemson's best player, can score, can put it on the deck a little bit, can get to the hole, can hit that mid-range jumper. He's what you want when you're playing against the zone. That being said, Brahma Sidibe, rumors of him coming back. If he can, it would really help, even if he can only play 20 minutes or whatever it may be. I think he could really help the rebounding aspect. He finished last season, I think, his last six games were all double-digit rebound games. We haven't seen him play yet this year. Um, he got injured in the first five minutes of the first game. So if he can come back, get 10 boards or eight boards in his limited minutes, that would help a lot. Amir Sims is the key. Clemson, they play great defense. They don't score a ton of points. But good defense have proved to do their thing against Syracuse. We saw Virginia. I'm not saying Clemson's on that Virginia level, but they're the closest team in the ACC to it. On the road, on top of that, I see Syracuse losing this one by probably five, six points. Man, so positive, so so optimistic of you to have to really go out on a limb right there. I'm a realist out here. Well, like you mentioned, Clemson, one of Syracuse's quadrant one opponents coming up on the rest of Syracuse's schedule. Speaking of quadrant one, it's so sporadic in these top 25 these days. I've seen a team jump from number 24 to number nine. I've seen a team drop from number six to number 18. It's been a crazy year in the top 25. But let's go through it. The top 25 update. One thing that jumps out to me, since it's been released, number three and number six have fallen, albeit number six lost to number two, Baylor, pretty convincingly, though. I think we can all say that Baylor absolutely showcased why it is that dominant team. This was my first real time seeing Baylor in action against a pretty quality opponent like a Texas, which shock a smart back. And it was never in doubt. They started, I believe, on an 8-0 run. It was a game of runs at first, and then it was just Baylor just continuing to attack and do its thing. Um, and then also Villanova loses to St. John's. And a shocker right now, what do you guys currently think about the top 25, specifically these, these monster teams going down? Yeah, and also uh, number five, Houston. I believe they lost mm -hmm. Eastern Carolina too. Oh, you're yesterday. right. Yeah. So three, right. three of the top six uh, going down since the rankings came out on Monday. So next week we're going to see even more fluctuation. But, yeah, uh, Baylor-Gonzaga have been the two heavy hitters. I thought Villanova would stay at the top with them. Obviously that loss is going to bring them down. But, yeah, Michigan, they remain up there. They're the other top six team that didn't lose, so they're shocking me. Ohio State is number seven now. They play tonight. I think they're playing as we're speaking. This yep. is being recorded at 7.30 on Thursday. Um, I think – they're playing Iowa, number eight. I expect Ohio State to get blown out of that one. They don't belong to be in the top ten, in my opinion, but we'll see. Um, besides that, Drake, number 25, undefeated. They finally sneak into the top 25. 
finally getting the love. Pop, your Nova team, you said you were high on them. Uh, a shocker against St. John's, but this team seems like it has all the pieces together to continue uh, to be the best team in their conference, let alone a sneaky team that could be in, a, in the final four. Uh, what is your current take on, you know, Nova's struggles from last game? And then also what to expect ahead, especially in this top 25, that's crazy right now. Yeah. Well, Nova's really got to play defense. <laughs> that was the <laughs> issue yesterday against St. John's. I gave up 90 points, I believe. And you're going to lose a lot of games if you do that. So Tighten that up. I still really like that team. I think they have a lot of great pieces that are going to be able to compete, and they're going to be there, uh, you know, down the stretch, come tournament time, come the end of the season. But really, my biggest takeaway, you know, we talk about these teams in the top six, three of the top six losing. How about Michigan holding strong at number four? I really like Michigan. I think they're a good team. But they haven't played a game since January 6th, almost a month now. And they've remained in fourth in the country, which is kind of wild to think about. Uh, I guess it helps that some of the other teams behind them are losing and, you know, almost beating up on each other in some cases with Texas and Baylor. But for them to sit there at four, I find that very interesting, uh, you know, just given the fact they haven't played in a month. Yeah, that's it. That's actually interesting because, like, do you blame them for not playing and, and, and you know, hurt them? Or do these other teams actually have to impress them enough to, that they can jump a team like a Michigan? But no team right now, you know, Houston's lost. Iowa's been shaky. Ohio State, A. Scott just mentioned, has no business even being there. They, these teams got to prove themselves. I mean, I wouldn't be sh- shocked if Michigan went up to number three and now they just have uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan as the, th- as the top three currently. Um, teams to drop out, unfortunately, were Minnesota. St. Louis, like you mentioned, and Louisville, who's going through COVID stuff right now. So those three teams drop out. Anthony already mentioned, shout out to Drake, getting finally in there, being undefeated. And is that, is that, what do I see? Is that a Pac-12 school moving up in the rankings? <laughs> Pac-12 has entered the chat, ladies and gentlemen. UCLA at 13-3 and three is your 21st best team in college basketball. It's not rare that we talk about the Pac-12 as much as there is Cali in this podcast, but UCLA putting the team on their back and being <laughs> the best team in the Pac-12. And I was even looking at bracketology, just getting an idea of the figures of what the conference layouts were looking like, what were coming out of each. But there are five Pac-12 schools planning to be in the tournament this year. I wasn't even planning the Pac-12 to happen at all. But mm-hmm. apparently, we're going to be having them. So, you know, any thoughts on the, the latter half? I saw Kansas at 23. They're very close to not being in. And that would just be another blue blood not in the top 25. Uh, any last thoughts about the top 25 before we move on and go into A. Scott's uh, useful undefeated tracker? Yeah, the undefeated tracker is no longer that useful. There's only three teams left. They're all, they're all in the top yeah. five now. But UCLA, I mean, they, they've only lost one game in the Pac-12, so I guess if one team deserves to be ranked – And that was two games ago. They lost to Stanford by one. Yeah, that's all I got One final thought here. All right, I'm proposing this to you guys. I want you to take a look at Tennessee and get back to me on this. I think that they are the most fraudulent 11th ranked team in the country to ever exist. I, I don't understand why they're ranked 11th in the country. They lost this week, so they won't be. But all this being said, you know, they have one good win and it's on the road against Missouri who then came to their place and beat them by a similar margin that Tennessee beat them in Missouri. They have no good wins, and they're just not a very good team. They have, like, two guys averaging over 10 points per game. They are not the 11th-ranked team in the country, and I don't know why they continue to get love. 
Yeah, that's just they're trying to sneak a couple SEC teams in there because they're missing Kentucky and Florida, even though Florida's sneaking yeah. back up there. But, yeah, Tennessee. Uh, I mean, I've, they beat Kansas, but Kansas isn't good. We've yeah. talked about that. Kansas is not the, the normal Kansas. It is going to be a good win, though, on their resume. But you're right. Yeah. In the SEC, in the whole entire resume at large, it's not that impressive. And I fell victim to him last night. I, I bet him against Ole Miss. Hmm. It's tough. That's the, a sad story. The, the frauds got me. Hell. <laughs> but uh, we're moving on to a team that is not fraudulent. One of the three left uh, of the undefeated teams, Baylor. We kind of talked to him, talked about him in the top twenty-five discussion. But they did take down at the time number six Texas, eighty-three to sixty-nine. Like Lucas said, never really close. It was on Groundhog's Day. Certainly felt like Groundhog's Day for the Bears because they've won every single game by eight or more points, and they did it again. On Tuesday, this team really no competition yet in the Big 12. Although there's a lot of good teams in that conference, no one's been able to hang with Baylor. Uh, what, what was more impressive on Tuesday? Was it the fact that Baylor won? Was it the fact that Texas didn't look good? Because I thought Texas was going to at least compete with these Baylor Bears. What did you take away from that win? Uh, we'll, go, we'll go to Poppy. Yeah, so Baylor comes out. And they start the game. This is what they do. I've noticed a trend in their games. They start out and they really just blitz you in the beginning of the game. Try to go up early quickly, which I guess you can say a lot of teams try to do that. But they're successful at it. Uh, they start off that game 8 nothing. No shock of smart. Texas makes some adjustments. Uh, they crawl back into the game. They actually had a lead, I believe, at one point uh, late, on, late in the first half. Um, but unfortunately, they weren't able to make it competitive. And I think what we're seeing from Baylor is – I mean, they're the most impressive team in college basketball, in my opinion. Gonzaga, they're great. They're a fun team to watch. I think they're very good. They've played some good teams in the non-conference, and they've handled it all well. But they're just not playing the competition that Baylor is. I think Baylor's in the best conference in college basketball, and they're really just checking all the boxes for you uh, night after night. I've never been more shocked at a team that can just get off their shot at any point. They have guys that can get to the rim and make layups, contested layups pretty efficiently. They have players that have the green light from three and make it at a great clip. I think they were saying that they shoot 40% from three on average. And so if you're making 40% of your threes, it doesn't matter if Shaka Smart is there or not. You're going to lose in that game. Again, Texas, it's hard with Texas because they're very streaky. Andrew Jones can only do so much. Their guard play is great, but I would probably call them like an A-minus guard tier versus like a Baylor and a Gonzaga that have A-plus guard play. It's tough for these teams to hang. Baylor can put up 70, 80 a night eat with ease, and I was, I was very impressed. You had Jared Butler, like we've, we've talked about in the past, shooting or in that specific game had 21 points on three of eight from three. Baylor had 10 steals as a team. They just clamped so hard on any team. And mm-hmm. I want to see what they go up against good competition. I, I mean, I wonder what the odds are right now for Baylor Gonzaga. Just write it in. Just write it in right now. It literally, doesn't matter. Yes, literally write it in. Like, if you want to talk about the tiers of college basketball, it's Gonzaga, Baylor, Baylor, Gonzaga, whatever order you want. And then everybody else. It's not even close. Like, turn the page and it's everybody else. Like, they don't even belong in the same chapter. If we're talking who is the best team in college basketball, it's a shame we did not get the game earlier in the season due to COVID. But I'm sure, almost positive, they will be in the national championship playing against each other. Um, But from this game, I thought Texas was one of the teams that can compete. The fact that they didn't really shows a lot about Baylor just because uh, Texas has three really good guards. Maybe none of them are, are as good as Gonzaga's guards. 
but they have three really good solid guards, and Andrew Jones had a hell of a game in that one. Um, kind of lost in the box score because they lost by 14, but he put up 20 once again. Without Shaka Smart, Texas, they'll be back. They'll be a great team, but this really proved a lot from Baylor. They're the first team since 1990-91 to win their first 17 games by eight or more points. No one's really been close, but they do have a tough stretch in their schedule still left. They've beaten everybody in the Big 12, except for West Virginia, everybody that matters, that is. Um, they still have to play Texas Tech. They still have to play West Virginia twice on back-to-back -back games. They have to travel um, to Kansas on the last game of the season. That could really be a statement game for Kansas. Poppy, you were kind of flirting with the undefeated season. I know you kind of wanted to say it. Are you going to say it now? Are they going to go undefeated? I, I think there's a very real chance, yeah. I mean, I think West Virginia is a good team. We talked about them a little bit last week, but they're just missing their big man, Oscar Shibwe. They still have Derek Culver, who's very good down there. But a, a big part of that team is no longer there, is I, I guess what I'm trying to say. I expect Baylor to probably win those games. Um, and I just think that top to bottom, I mean, this is a very deep team, this Baylor team. Matthew Mayer coming off the bench with a little, you know, mid-teen years Justin Bieber haircut, averaging <laughs> 15 minutes a game, but, oh, but putting up nine points a game on 52% from the field. They just have guys that come off the bench, know their role, and they contribute. It's a perfect system that Scott Drew's running there. Uh, and it's it's impressive to watch. You know, Syracuse lost them in the NCAA tournament in 2019, and I thought it was a terrible loss. And since then, Baylor has just taken off, and the program in general has kind of like skyrocketed to yeah. a very impressive level. Yeah, Baylor, I mean, they were really hurt last year. They didn't get a chance in the NCAA tournament. They were on a run last year, ranked number one at times, and they're just putting it back-to-back -back seasons. They're putting it together probably better this year with Jared Butler, a freshman coming in. We talked about it, Gonzaga, Gonzaga Baylor the rest of the field. Lucas, early pick. Say we get this matchup in the national championship game, who would win, Baylor or Gonzaga? That's a good question. I think it would have to go Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga just has a lot of great pieces as well as Baylor, but Jalen Suggs is a top three pick, and I think his talent just oversees the Jared Butlers. Mm -hmm. I'll go Baylor. I really – I just like Baylor for all the reasons I said. I, I'm very impressed with them on defense and offense. Yeah, the one thing that I think separates these schools is the big man play. I think Gonzaga has better post play. But, yeah, it's going to come down to the guard play at the end of the day. Just if you can't you, if you can't bring the ball up the court and get it to your big man, what, what's the point of the big man being there? Because Baylor is going to attack Gonzaga's guards, but Suggs, Nemhard, two of the best in the country. I really hope we get to see this matchup in early April. Um, to end the season be a way to go out it definitely would be a way to go out it's what everybody needs to see from the goat of college basketball that is the Baylor Bears probably over to some teams trying to get into the tournament they're definitely not a lock to get in they're on that bubble it's February only about 35 days left until selection Sunday it's time to talk about the bubble here on Cali to Cuse and it's a weak bubble this year how weak is it Joe Lenardi at ESPN has Penn State as their next four out as his next four out. So not in the tournament yet, but sniffing it. Their record is six and eight. Another bubble team, Duke, is seven and six. Maryland is nine and eight. So a lot of 500 teams on the bubble. It may come down to the quad one wins. Some teams that we could talk about this week, uh, we'll definitely talk about all the teams on the bubble as we get closer to March. But Colorado State and Stanford are right now Joe Lenardi's last four in. And then Maryland, Duke, Penn State on the outside looking in. A lot of power five teams on the conference on the or power five teams on the bubble 
trying to get into the tournament. Poppy, out of this field, do you have a favorite? Is there one team that, if they get in, could go on a run? Duke is not my favorite. I'll tell you that much. Uh, Duke doesn't belong sniffing near the NCAA Spoiler alert. This year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but moving on from Duke, let's talk about the Maryland Terrapins, another team that traditionally I, I really despise. But to be honest with you, this season, Maryland's been pretty impressive. You know, they're the only team in college basketball, I believe, with four wins over ranked teams. So they have that stat going for them. And essentially, they've just kind of, you know, They've beaten up. They've beaten some very good teams this year. Uh, they're four and eight against quad one teams, but that's a little deceiving because they play in the Big Ten against a ton of quad one teams. They also played a couple of quad one teams in the non-conference as well. I know they played Clemson. Um, so you know it's it's been a tough go this year for Maryland a little bit. But when the big moment rises, they seem to rise to the occasion and knock off those really good teams. And I think when you look at you know March Madness. You want to have the teams that play well against good teams there. I'd rather see Maryland than maybe like the third best team from the A10 who hasn't played anybody and looks overwhelmed against like Wisconsin in a, you know, a 3-3 whatever matchup, a 3-11 matchup. I'd rather see Maryland there. Lucas, any team? I know Stanford's on our list of bubble teams this week. That's kind of your home team a little bit. Yeah, the Stanford Cardinal, we root for the Pac-12. They're Cal's biggest rival. But I'm going to give them some props here because I was looking at what they've done and what the product they've put out there. They have talent. They have a, a top 20 recruit in Zaire Williams coming over from Sarah Canyon's mischief of toys that they had over there. Um, they beat Bama. They lost to UNC by four earlier this season. They played Indiana, lost to them by 16. But those are th- three really tough matchups. They beat in UCLA. And right now, sitting at 10-7, and seven, doesn't look pretty, but they play teams tough. They beat Arizona at Arizona. It's never tough to beat Arizona at their home stadium. They're currently 6-5 and five in the conference, which isn't great. But at the same time, they're 2-0 against Arizona. That Alabama win from earlier this season gives them a really great quad one win. They, they played Oregon tough, UNC tough, IU tough. I love this team. They have talent. They can continue to – build up that resume you know they play Cal two times in a row so that's going to boast them up a little bit that'll be a quick two dubs but uh and then we'll see what they do in conference play but right now I think with the product they've put out there gets them in the tournament slightly yeah I think it's just going to be interesting how they evaluate these teams because I think it's going to come down to the quad one wins I think you hit it right on the head popular like you want to see teams that are capable have proven that they can beat good teams because that way they can go on a run in the NCAA tournament. All you're playing in the NCAA tournament is good teams. With that being said, I'm going to highlight the one non-Power 5 team on our list this week, which is Colorado State. They play in the Mountain West, which is a sneaky good conference. They don't have any really powerhouse teams like a Gonzaga that lifts the conference every year. But San Diego State is a quality team this year. Utah State and Boise State are all quality wins. And Colorado State has beaten all three of those teams but they've also lost all three of those teams because they play that back-to-back kind of style with conference scheduling. So it'll be interesting how they rate that. I think if Colorado State can sweep the rest of their conference schedule, because it is pretty easy, the teams they have left, they're in no matter what. Um, but if they lose one, that could hurt them because we talked about it all the year. These teams don't play any non-conference games this year because of COVID. This could be a situation where the non-conference not playing for Colorado State, not getting a chance against an Alabama or a top team, could come back to bite him. You're a good man by, you know, sticking up for the little guy. 
you know, you're just really looking out for them. You're kind of like a Robin Hood. Is that too early to say that? You know, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> too soon, too soon. But if Colorado State finishes out the season winning out or losing one game, that puts them at 20 wins. How many teams are going to be able to say that? None. And if they get the 20 wins, I can guarantee you they will be in the tournament. That's just if they can get the 20, if they can continue their stretch that they're playing at. Yeah. Right, right. Definitely something to look out for as we come down the stretch. Last thing to talk about the bubble is it seems like a lot of these teams are ranked around the bubble because of the conference they play in. We're seeing Penn State at six and eight on the bubble because they play in the Big Ten. Colorado State's getting a boost because Mountain West is actually kind of a good conference. But who's to say that? You know, they're only playing against other Mountain West teams. It's hard to judge these conferences for what they are. So what do you make of maybe Penn State and other Big Ten, Big 12 teams getting a boost just because of the conference they play in? I think it's absolutely ridiculous. No, there's no Too way that is. Yeah. There's no reason a six and eight Penn State team. If you're not a 500 team, I get Maryland's nine and eight. And even if they were eight and eight, I do agree with Pop that Maryland is actually a good team. But Penn State is not a good team. I think they have two wins against top 25 teams. And that's just because every single Big Ten team is in the top 25, it seems like. They just beat up on each other. That just bolsters them up. The, two, the one team that we always say is like get, gets away from the top of the pack is like an Iowa and right now Ohio State's above them and we all know that if we look at Iowa and Ohio State in a vacuum we all know that Iowa is better than them but that it's just because if you can just win four or five straight games in the Big Ten while all the other teams beat up on each other no wonder all these teams are in there mm-hmm. yeah I think Penn State at six and eight is ridiculous, even in the converse. I, I mean, you have to have a winning record to make the NCAA yeah, tournament. Because you have Syracuse, who's 10 and five, yet we don't have a quad one win, so we're not even yeah. sniffing this tournament right now, according to Joe Lennart. Yeah, which I think is crazy. I mean, Penn State, you know, they do have a couple good wins. Their, their net ranking is really helping them out. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how they're 32nd in net at, with a six and eight overall record. <laughs> It's because like of the quad one wins, yeah. It is, but Maryland has one more quad one win. They have their two wins. They're they're ten and eight actually. Maryland's ten and eight. They have their two wins over five hundred versus Penn State two games under five hundred, and Maryland is thirty seventh in that. While Penn State is thirty second in that, and Maryland has more quad one wins. So I don't really understand how that <laughs> is the case. Uh, but you know, the, the other team who's getting a total total boost from just their reputation is Duke. Okay, Duke has a chance to make the NCAA tournament because they have a lot of games against good teams left. NC, UNC twice, Virginia once, um, and really, I guess that's about it. I mean, nobody else in the ACC. <laughs> hey, Syracuse, man, come on. They got Cuse, and they're at Georgia Tech, so we'll I give think, them those two as well. Yeah, but, I think the, the, the Syracuse-Duke game, I think, is going to be a playing game, essentially. They could be, but why is Duke – like, you have to judge a team if you're Joe Lenardi based on what they've done so far, not, an, not on anticipating potential wins down the line. What Duke has done so far does not warrant them near the bubble over Syracuse. Who have they beaten that Syracuse hasn't beat? They don't have a better win than Syracuse's win against Virginia Tech is my argument, I guess. Maybe Clemson. Maybe. They also have, they also have a terrible loss against Miami. Like, yeah. if you're – Miami's 5-11, and 11, mm-hmm. and you guys beat them when they were, you know, on that decline. But at least you got the job done. Yeah, got the job done and then some. <laughs> and then some. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people, people praise Duke for having a tough non-conference schedule, but they didn't beat anybody in the non-conference that was good. So how, is, how, can, you, how can you praise them for that? Exactly. I'm, I'm excited to see how bad Joe Lenardi is at predicting it this year because I think he's got it all, all wrong. I don't know. The net ranking is interesting. I'm wondering how much weight is really put into that because 
if, if the net ranking is the say-all, be-all, then Colgate is a top 15 team. Colgate was like number 12 in the net ranking, mm-hmm. which don't sleep on Colgate. We'll get to that when the brackets <laughs> actually come out. They, they, they should be featured in this year's tournament. But let's get to our player of the week. And actually this week we got players of the week, uh, a duo, but they're on separate teams, but they are twins. Justin Champagne from Pitt and Julian Champagne from St. John's. Two guys who have a similar play style getting it done. Justin, the player from Pitt, averaging 19 points, 12 rebounds. Julian averaging 19 points, 7 rebounds. Both teams off of a big win. That's why they are players of the week this year. Poppy, I know you've seen Justin and probably Julian since you watched that uh, St. John's game. What do you think? Yeah, Justin is a little bit of a different player, really bangs down low, uh, a little bit more physical. While Julian, you know, they're about the same height at six foot eight, but Julian is more of a shooter and outside threat uh, compared to his twin brother. But Champagne is, you know, he is the best player in the ACC, Justin, that is. He is the best player in the conference, and I don't really think there's much room for debate. He's going to be a first-round pick this year. Uh, He's got tremendous leaping ability. He was dealing with an injury earlier in the season. But he's a guy who just gets after it down low. Whether or not he'll find success in the NBA is up to him making threes and developing that shot. See, if you could just combine the twins into one player, you'd have an insanely good lottery pick kind of guy. Yeah, and Justin Champagne, just to go off that, he's one of three players that plays in a Power 5 conference and is averaging a double-double. The other two being Derek Culver, Kofi Cokeburn from Illinois and West Virginia. But another player that's almost sniffing that, that list is Quincy Garriott. He's averaging mm-hmm. nine and a half, so he's almost on that list. Uh, the Champennies, Lucas, you've had trouble pronouncing their name all, all season long, but what are your thoughts on, on, these, on these brothers? The Champagne bros are my guys. <laughs> Come on. Like, um, it would be so much cooler if they were Champagne instead of Champagne. But like you mentioned, <laughs> both averaging 19 points a game. Obviously, Justin bangs down a little bit better than, than uh, Julian. They're going to have to pay big down the stretch. I mean, St. John's, I don't know what their record is right now, but they can't be sniffing the tournament. But that win against Villanova maybe changes some things around. They beat Villanova. He had 14 and 13 on the glass in the win. Impressive stuff from the two. I think if – I mean, just hearing them, I haven't watched much of Julian, but if Julian's more 6'8", and he's also the stretch guy and can shoot the ball, he might be the better prospect currently. But that doesn't mean that a Justin develops his jumper while when he gets into the league and then becomes a perennial threat because he already has the good footwork down low. He can bring it and stretch it. And, you know, he can be a very good player down the road. Yeah. I like, that's a great comparison there. Just great way you broke it down. Cause I think that is how it kind of looks right now. Julian's got the better shot, but if Justin can get the jumper, he's Jeremy Grant 2.0. I think he's a guy mm-hmm. that plays above the rim. Uh, he really can get up there with the best of them, jumps through the roof, has those big dunks. And he can block some shots, averaging nearly a block and a half a game this year. So I'm going to throw Jeremy Grant as the comparison. I like it. This was painful to do as a Syracuse fan, too. Both, both Brooklyn natives here. We talked about before, Justin, after torching Cuse in the second game, said that that was his dream school. And we know how that went. So. <laughs> he is not playing for the Orange. No. <laughs> He's beating up on the Orange. Two yes. and up against Syracuse. But going, coming up to this weekend on Saturday – Check out Kelly DeCuse on Twitter. We'll post some bets. Last week wasn't too hot, but we still have a positive record on the year. So let's get into some games on Saturday. These are not official picks because we do not have the lines, but we'll just discuss who we like um, without the lines in front of us. First game we'll talk about at noon, an SEC matchup. Poppy, you like this Missouri Tigers team, but their biggest test of the year, they're going to be at home against Alabama. I do like this Missouri team a lot. 
Uh, you know, they have – we mentioned they split against Tennessee. They have a win against Illinois earlier in the season. They're a very quality team and, uh, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think many people were too high on this Missouri team coming into the season. But all that being said, Bama just suffered a tough loss in the SEC – uh, Big 12 challenge at the hands of Oklahoma. And I think this is a big bounce back game. You know, Alabama didn't play bad in that game. They just got outplayed by Oklahoma, who's looks to be like a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, I think Bama's still the favorite in the SEC, and I think they proved that in this one. Oklahoma does look scary. They won that game without their starting point guard. Missouri, Bama, Lucas? Roll tide here. <clears throat> Oklahoma, there's a reason they jumped up 15 spots from 24th to 9th. They're the real deal. And Alabama played them tough. The guard play again is what it's going to come down to. They have such good guards. Missouri is a very good team. I'd, I can expect them to run up and down the court a little bit. I would peep that over line and just, you know, see what it's at. I think both of these teams can get into the 80s. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. I'm excited to watch it. Missouri's at home, so I think they have a chance to pull off the upset. That being said, I've only watched Missouri at their worst, and that was against Mississippi State when they lost by 15 uh, because I bet on that game. Or excuse me, yeah, they lost by 15. And uh, so I'll be watching this one. And I think uh, Bama does get it done, though. I think Bama will come through, prove that they're the top 10 team, prove that they're the class of the SEC. Uh, then later in the day, at 2, a great early slate of games on Saturday, moving over to the Big 12. Kansas, your squad, Lucas, they've been struggling. Do they get it done on the road against West Virginia? No. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> West Virginia West Virginia's legit. They have actually way more talent, I've realized, in watching both of them than Kansas, and that's rare. Uh, and so I like the home, the home guys here, and uh, give me the Mountaineers. I'm glad you finally come full circle on the Jayhawks because at home – I've been wrong a few times. I can raise my hand and say, hey, I uh, fucked up. You know, it's the Blue Bloods that have screwed me over this year. Definitely. Um, I'm going to take Bob Huggins in, in the pullover jacket. He'll be on the sidelines, roaming the sidelines with a little grin on his face as they beat Kansas by double digits. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I'm all in on this West Virginia team. It's been a tough year for the Blue Bloods. They're just – they don't have it. I don't know if it's COVID or lack of talent, too many one-and-dones, but West Virginia, they, they have it, and Kansas doesn't. Mm -hmm. Wisconsin at Illinois. This is going to be on – this is going to be on at 2.30, so during that West Virginia game. Big Ten matchup. Illinois, been a little shaky this year, but finally coming around, it looks like, with wins over Iowa and Indiana. Can they keep it rolling against Wisconsin? They're at home. I'm going to roll with the Illini. Poppy. This is a really tough game to pick here. These are two teams that I – Wisconsin, me and Lucas both can't get a judge on them. We can't get a good read on them at all. And Illinois, just when I have – I think I have them figured out, they start underperforming again. But all that being said, they didn't get a great performance the other day against Indiana from Io DeSunmu and some of their other better players. You know, they had some role players step up, look impressive down the stretch, eked out an impressive road win on, uh, you know, in the, big in the Big Ten, excuse me. And I think that they're going to win against Wisconsin as well. I'll take Illinois, but it's going to be a very close game. Yeah, I was a little disappointed with watching Illinois against Indiana. I caught the late end of that game and a little bit of overtime. Is it Kofi Coburn that just missed that little five-foot bunny for the win? Yeah. Now, that was just – I can't trust the team with the guy that can't make that right there. Um, I'm going to go Wisconsin here. This is the classic, you know, Illinois is too highly ranked and Wisconsin's too lowly ranked for this to be the situation. And they even each other out here. Uh, I think Wisconsin does get the win. I also think 
why do I feel like this is an under game? This why is this screaming under? Is that just because I believe Wisconsin plays defense still? I don't. I think last time I bet them it went over, but give me Wisconsin and peep the under depending on when that line looks like. Yeah, Illinois can definitely score. They got into foul trouble in that game against Indiana, but yeah, still found a way to win. They're an exciting team to watch. Kofi Cokeburn. I don't want to don't want to toot the horn too much, but I think I think we have an Andre Drummond on our hands. I could see that. I like the comparison. I hope so. But they so. give it to him a little too much, Illinois does, kind of how Cleveland gives it to uh, Drummond too much and, and when he was in Detroit. I think when Cokeburn gets the rebound, he needs to look for the three-point shooters a little more instead of just going right back up with it. If he can do that, Illinois is scary. They're a scary team on paper. Maybe they can start getting it going and get rack up some Ws before March. Moving over to the Super Bowl. Biggest game, if you haven't heard, it's Super Bowl week. On Cali DQs, we cover college basketball. But, but we're not out of touch with reality. We know the Super Bowl is happening in the back of our minds. we got to make our picks. This is a betting show after all. Our official picks on Kelly DeCuse, at Kelly DeCuse on Twitter. Easy to find us. We'll talk about the Super Bowl right now. We gave some player, player props last week. This week we'll talk about the game. Chiefs minus three favorite and over-under is set at 56. Lucas, actually we'll go to Poppy. Poppy, what do you like? Okay, so I'm liking two things because my degenerate inner self is saying to bet on Tom Brady. He doesn't lose Super Bowls, and he's plus money in the Super Bowl. So bet the Buccaneers' money line. But on the other hand, I am a Los Angeles Chargers fan, and I play against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs twice a year. And I know just how good they are. It doesn't matter that Eric Fisher's out. It doesn't matter that Mitchell Schwartz is out. It doesn't matter whoever else catches COVID before the game and is out. As long as Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill are out there, I don't see any way that somebody's stopping them. I like them minus three. I think it's going to be a close game for the most part, but I just think eventually the Chiefs will eke it out. Pop, or Sorry, Lucas, you're taking, you're taking time. Tom Brady versus time, and you're taking Tom Brady. Oh, when I look at one side of the court or field, sorry, I just got to get into football mode again. <laughs> when I see one side of the field, I see Travis Kelsey. I see Tyreek Hill. I see Pat Mahomes. I see Andy Reid, hopefully with a cheeseburger in his hand. <laughs> On the other side, I see Tom Brady. I see Gronk. I see Mike Evans. I see Chris Godwin. And I see AB. And I also see playoff Lenny. Which, pers- which team do I feel worse about? If I, if I watch the game and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I bet against X player, it has to come down to Tom Brady. It's like, I can't believe I went against him again. Mm-hmm. It's like, I thought he was going to lose to the Rams in, Super- in, the, in, uh, one of, in the last Super Bowl. I thought they were going to lose to Atlanta. I thought they were going to beat Philly, and they lost to Philly. So I'm all over the place with him. I got to go with him. And I, got- and I can't believe I'm saying it. It's- they have home field advantage. If that's going to factor into it, Tom Brady has had 10 of these, and the Super Bowl halftime show is very long. I know the Chiefs were just in one last year against my 49ers. Mm-hmm. They get it, but it's a, it's a whole spectacle. And whoever gets the ball last, and I think it's going to be Tampa, I think they get the job done. And maybe they still lose, but maybe it's a two-point game. I, like the, I think this could be a game. I, Kansas City could still win, and I still win. And I'm down for that, too. Yeah. I like I like all your reasonings because betting against Tom Brady is tough in the playoffs, but he has lost Super Bowls in the past. Lost to the Giants twice, lost to the Eagles, and now 
Just but wouldn't you fun. say they were better teams in New York? And hasn't everybody been saying that Kansas City is way better than this Tampa team? Like, it made sense when they were undefeated going against the Giants, being like, oh, they have this by a billion, but yeah. they, they, they come down. And I feel like that similar situation, the Chiefs' offensive line's a little bit shaky. They also might be keeping down their closed doors. There's so many more questions about Kansas City versus I know what I'm getting with Tom Brady every single time. Yeah, you also know what you're getting with Patrick Mahomes every single time. It's only been a smaller sample size, but every single game, this man puts up 30 points, um, albeit he has the best tight end and probably the fastest receiver in football on his side. But you can't go wrong taking the Chiefs. You can't go wrong taking Tom Brady in the playoffs. So one way or the other, you're betting against somebody you don't want to bet on or bet against, excuse me. And for that reason, I'm going to take the Chiefs. I think if this was minus five, I would take Tom Brady. That's just too many points. But minus three, I think they win it by a field goal and you push, or they win it by four and you win, or or they could blow them out. I don't see the the Buccaneers blowing them out because nobody can stop the Chiefs' offense. The, the Buccaneers' defense, superb, excellent, A-plus through the charts at stopping the run. The pass, they have some good players, but they've been exposed before. They're going to be exposed again. And Patrick Mahomes, that's two. That's two of probably, I don't know, ten. I'm really happy for you, A. Scott, because either your former coach, Todd Bowles, as the defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers, gets his ring, yeah. or one of your former best players in Le'Veon Bell gets his <laughs> ring with the Kansas City Chiefs. So you, as a Jets fan, are winning in this sense. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I think we're losing in this sense. We traded both of them away. <laughs> we, didn't want, we didn't want anything to do with either of them. Hey, hey, put that in the rafters. Once had former now Super Bowl champion head coach Todd Bowles or former running back <laughs> who absolutely deteriorated our entire team and it probably allowed Jamal Adams to also walk. Can you fit that on a banner? Can you fit probably. all that? We, we can make it two banners because that's the best thing we've done in the past 20 years. But um, <laughs> the one thing that we can – so we're split in the game, two Chiefs, one uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Home underdog, though, I do got to say, I wonder if that plays a factor. Home, home underdog is usually what you want to bet on. If that's the First case, time ever. You want to take the Bucks if that's the case. Um, Lucas is saying by the half a point, if it's three, he wants the three and a half. I agree with you on that. But the one thing we can all agree on is that the over is going to hit. We all are taking over 56, which is a lot of points. I don't see either of these offenses stopping. I think it's going to be a close game. So, yeah, I see 60 points getting scored with these. We're all on the over, so that tells everybody, bet the under. <laughs> yeah, Mahomes' score is 30. Like, 30 is easy for one team. So, <laughs> the other team's just got to come through with their 30 or high 20s, and you're, you're getting this 56. Any final score predictions? I'm, I'm taking 35-31 Chiefs. Give me 35-32 I'll go, I'll go 38-27 Chiefs. Okay, a little bigger spread there out of Poppy. Super Bowl, Sunday night, if you weren't aware, tune in. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. Kind of the, the new generation versus the old. Um, going to be a hell of a game to watch. Before we let you go, though, we got our one last thing. We'll turn our attention to the NBA for our one last thing as the all-star voting is now alive, ready to go. You can make your selection. It counts towards, I think, a third of the actual voting. But there's some screwy things happening in the all-star voting. That's Clay Thompson is in the top 10 of voting. What? He hasn't even played. Uh, Lucas, how many votes are you putting in there to help boost his, his vote total? 
you know, I actually bought like 20 new MacBook Pros and I went on all of them and voted because they do this weird thing where like four days, their vote counts twice for some bizarre reason. <laughs> and you, like you mentioned, Clay Thompson will be top 10 in fan voting and then will be not available the rest because the players vote and then the coaches vote. And you can bet your ass that Clay Thompson is not getting a single damn vote for the rest of it. It just shows how strong Dub Nation is, really. You have three Golden State Warriors in there. You have Wiggins in there. You have Steph in there. And you have Clay in there. And when you really get down to the 10th best guard in the West, you know, obviously there are really great players out there. But Clay is just such a high-profile name. And maybe last week's debacle with uh, Rodney Magruder helped boost him up a little bit and get back into the, back into the fray. I will say he's not a top-10 guard on the season, but he's a top-10 color commentator. He's oh, he might like, be top one. <laughs> Poppy, the fan voting, is it getting out of hand? I mean, I think it's a little out of hand. You know, obviously, uh, we're looking at a situation here where Carmelo Anthony, God love him, you know. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his, but he's averaging 12 points per game on 37% from the field, and he is 10th in all-star voting ahead of Rudy Gobert on the Jazz, who's Perform. probably in line to win another defensive player of the year, maybe. Uh, certainly one of the better centers in the Western Conference, one of the better front court players, definitely better than Carmelo Anthony, but – you know, it is what it is. It's the fan vote. Carmelo Anthony's not going to make the all-star team. <laughs> I realize that. Uh, but, you know, all this being said, it does lead to some questions, you know, similar to the election, we just had a voter fraud. What's what's going on with the inflated numbers here? Uh, obviously, Kevin Durant and LeBron leading the way looks normal, but everything else after that's a little fishy to me. I think the fact that Wiggins is up there really does speak to Dub Nation because he's not even like a core Warriors player. And now he gets traded to Golden State, and wow. Like, how many fans does this team have, Lucas? Hey, two-way Wiggins is what we're calling him these days. <laughs> Putting up some of his best defensive stats that he's ever put up. Like, he's he it's is not in the hard top, to do. He's in the top ten in blocks, total blocks, and he's the only non-center in the top ten in total blocks. No, only non-center in top ten in total blocks. He's really stepped it up on the defensive end. Much credit to him. It's the system. And – uh, Throw him in the All-Star game. But um, speaking of the All-Star game, Lucas, I saw you filled out your ballot. Uh, We kind of discussed it off the air. But we're all going to give our sleeper picks for the All-Star game, guys that we really want to see in it that kind of do deserve votes, not like Clay Thompson, who I'm sure Lucas wants to see in it, but, you know, (laughs) he's got a torn ACL. But, Lucas, um, your sleeper pick. I I liked it. Yeah, my sleeper pick. I I mean, this was was hard, but there's so much talent and so much – you know, you have Jeremy Grant now averaging 25-plus. You have these t- these players that go to different systems. And right now, the hottest team in the NBA right now is the Houston Rockets. And one of those reasons is because of Christian Wood. He is a versatile 6'10 wing player that if he can develop a handle a little bit better, his development as a second rounder, he's going to be a special player, man. Like, he's averaging 26 and 11 and just an absolute stud. And I would love to see him out there. He he understands that nothing's guaranteed and he's just balling out on the court. And that's why Houston who started four and 11 are now, I believe 10 and 11, or maybe even at 500 now as one of the hottest teams in the NBA. And now in the conversation of being a playoff team, potentially. Yeah. Rockets are definitely on a run. Christian Wood, unbelievable. Shaq, Shaq needs to know his name. When they interviewed him, Shaq was a little surprised who he was interviewing uh, a couple weeks ago, but Poppy, you're taking, you're staying loyal to the Qs. You want to see Jeremy Grant. Yeah, well, that's because Shaq's a casual, as Christian Wood put it. He's a casual fan. 
Uh, but that being said, Jeremy Grant, my guy, needs to make it in to the All-Star game this year. You know, our, our good buddy Joe Barron was making him Quiznos subs for years when he was at Cuse, fueling a future All-Star. Jeremy Grant, 27 or 23.7 points per game this year, bet on himself. Uh, you know, he could have re-signed with the Nuggets and competed for a championship. He wanted to get some money, um, bet on himself as having a great year, going to get a big contract again once this three-year de- three deal is up. And he's really just kind of proven, uh, you know, we mentioned second-round guys with Christian Wood, that you can mine talent anywhere now in the NBA. Jeremy Grant, another second-round pick, has really kind of added to his game as the years have gone on. And, you know, he comes from a, a big lineage of NBA players, but he's probably going to go down in history as the best one. I know his uncle – Horace has a bunch of rings with the Bulls, but Jeremy Grant really making a name for himself this year. Yeah, I want to see Jeremy Grant in there. This is the year for him to do it. He's got the keys to the offense in Detroit and showing that he can be a suitable player that has the keys to the offense. Detroit not getting a lot of wins, but they have nobody else on that team besides Jeremy Grant. It's not his fault. Um, It's kind of like a Bradley Beal situation, but to the lesser extent because Beal is insane. But uh, my sleeper pick, I'm going to go the Eastern Conference guard. Might be the hot pick because he just – broke a record for most points for that franchise. But Fred Van Vliet dropping 54 for the Raptors. Um, that just wasn't his first game that he's had a nice night. He's averaging 20 on the year. That's a career high for him. Dishing out six assists a game, grabbing four rebounds. And you want to talk about defense. I know defense doesn't necessarily get you into the all-star game, but it's a big part of basketball. And you're talking about the top 30 players in the game. I think Van Vliet needs to be in that conversation. He's averaging two steals a game. He can lock up. And he can shoot the three like nobody else. We saw, what, 11 for 15 the other night when he put up 54. I want to see Van Vliet in there. And to be honest with you, Kyle Lowry is still taking away some of his numbers. Imagine if Kyle Lowry wasn't in Toronto, how much better uh, Van Vliet's numbers would be. No, yeah, I agree with that. My only question is it's so hard to, like, tell where – because there's, like, two spots open in the starters specifically. I mean, the bench is, like, one other whole thing. But we already know that – in the backcourt for the West, you got Steph or Luka and Dane. And then in the in front court, you have LeBron and Jokic, and then that one spots up for grabs. You go to the East, the front court is Joel, KD, Giannis will probably be there, but like Pop thinks that, you know, Jeremy Grant deserves to be in that spot. And then in the, in the backcourt, you got Harden and Beal. Like, it's just so tough. Like, there's not sure. much room. There's not much room for integration yeah. from these studs. I mean, I don't necessarily think Jeremy Grant should be a starter. Well, I'd love to see it. Yeah. Off right. the bench is fine, but yeah, yeah um, we'll take off the bench. Yeah. But yeah, Van Vliet, what a night, you know, the most points ever by an undrafted guy. We're, we're all highlighting guys that were either picked in the second round or undrafted here. So it just, you know, the NBA is crazy. The NBA, the NFL, all these sports, if you have talent, they will find you. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been pretty insane to watch him score 17. Uh, or excuse me, 54 points on 17 of 23 shooting. I believe I saw that was the most ever uh, for a guy to score 50 points or more shooting less than 25 times. So he had the most points ever for a guy shooting 23 times. Yeah, yeah. the efficiency was through the roof that night. Almost had him in my FanDuel lineup. I wish I could show everybody the text. I literally asked Poppy and Lucas, who should I start? Westbrook or Van Vliet? I got these two lineups lined up. They all go Van Vliet, and I choose Westbrook, and Van Vliet goes on for 54 points. Terrible decision on my end. But since this is a college basketball podcast, we got about two minutes left here. 
Van Vliet, Wichita State, he was amazing at Wichita State. Not many people thought he could translate into the NBA. I was one of them. I'm shocked. But Wichita State days and Van Vliet, did you think this was ever even close to possible? He wasn't even considered the best player either. It was Joey Baker, that yeah. that long hair, Justin Bieber type hair Pop <laughs> mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, but, then, yeah, two studs. And Van Vliet won a title, was a huge part of it. Um, fits that MO perfectly. And I think he's the highest paid undrafted player ever. Yeah, he did get that as well. I didn't think Van Vliet would be this. I thought Clay Anthony early was the truth on those All Wichita right. State teams. He was great too, yeah. yeah. That's two picks, Ron Baker and Clay Anthony early. That didn't yeah. work out. <laughs> the Raptors yep. is the undrafted guy. It's funny how that works. It just seems like trouble finds the next. I mean, Clay Anthony early literally gets shot. Like, what is – he was shot when he was on the Knicks. It's just crazy the uh, the uh, stuff that happens to that franchise. You know, they're picking the two wrong Wichita State shockers. Bad, bad things will happen to bad franchises over and over again. That's the story of the Knicks. But that about does it for us on Kelly Takeus up in the rafters. Thanks for sticking with us. You can always find us every Friday, new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And then on Saturday, catch us in video form over on YouTube. Uh, just search Kelly Takeus. It should pop up. Or you can also search the Challenge Sports, and we should be there as well. So thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back next week with a whole other episode. Have a good one. Peace.